Hello and welcome to a very special holiday time episode of Normandy FM. It's a very special holiday for one co-host, Kenneth Shepard, because you get to finally do what you have been waiting to do for so long. (laughs) So, fun fact, the Switch will, if you... If you put it in sleep mode, it'll lose connection to the internet and have to restart a YouTube video. So I was tr- the entire time we were getting set up, I was trying to get that back to like the exact second that I needed it to be. And uh, I think I got it, so I think we're good. You got it, you got yeah, it. Yeah, because I was, trying, was... To, like, trying to make it a surprise. Beautiful. I didn't want you to hear it. Yeah. Um, I, of course, am Eric Van Allen, and this is an episode of Normandy FM where we are talking about really nothing. You know, I think we can really just, you know talk about some side quests and stuff and, and, and call it a day. Yeah, why don't we go, we can go back and talk about the Thorian. That was like, that's the real yeah. content everyone's here for. I think we really need to get into the deep character of Shiala mm. and and the impact that she has on, on the entire series. Let me tell you about a guy no. named Fidan. <laughs> I thought you said Kaidan for a second and I was like... Not in this yeah. house. In this house we say my boyfriend is named Right. <laughs> We are talking today about Vermeer, which I would say is probably the moment that Mass Effect 1 becomes what, you know, it was going to be mm. for for everybody. I feel like this is the mission where Mass Effect 1 goes from you know, all the other things that you kind of do to, like, this is what people remember right. from Mass Effect 1. It sets this a, is where all the big things are. Right. It sets the precedence for, like, the stakes of the series and, like, what mm-hmm. your decisions can end up causing or not causing. Um, it sort of, like, I guess establishes what's going to be the recurring consequence of what you do in these, for sure. So, to start with, for those who maybe are, are playing along. Well, I mean, if you're tuning into this podcast, we expect you to have played this mission, so really we're not pulling too many punches here, but this mission is all about your human companions, the ones who have theoretically been alongside you the whole game, uh, but kind of shoves them into the spotlight here. This is about Caden and Ashley, and it, it, from the outset, it really puts these two on your shoulder in a way that it felt like they hadn't been most of the game and kind of starts to foreshadow a lot of, like, hey, things are going to happen with these characters in a way that now, like, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, this is kind of funny. Like, (laughs) I haven't had Caden or Ashley giving me much advice at all in in this game. You know, I didn't take them with me on missions or anything like that, and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're left and right hand shepherd let's go do stuff together us human buddies <laughs> yeah i mean i i've always had kaden in my squad so like that that side of it didn't necessarily feel weird to me um i guess like this duality between them that it really felt like isn't necessarily apparent if you don't have at least one of them with you at all times um if not both of them which uh if you have been playing this entire game with ashley and kaden's squad i'm i'm really sorry for what happens to you at the end of this but uh yeah i 
Yeah. Well, okay, that's that that's fair. So the th- the thing with this is before we even get to the real the real meat of the story, we have to once again endure the labors of the Mako. <laughs> because this game it's it's so apparent now in retrospect that every mission it was like the the developers just decided, hey, we're we're gonna have a Mako part and you gotta do the Mako thing. And and this one especially, you fight probably the hardest enemy in the game. I would say it's harder to beat than a Thresher Maw. It's the the really, really big Geth armature, not the, the, the smaller ones, but I think they're called a Colossus. Mm. Um This I think this is the first time you find one in a main story mission. And oh that boy, uh, that boy messed me up mostly because the Mako controls terribly, and I was trying to get off of a rock while also being <laughs> shot at by, by the Colossus. And even that, like, just throughout like the first half of the mission, there's like a lot of like, you're having to be moving and fighting at the same time more so than you ever really did before, and there's a lot of like, smaller enemies, and you can always, it's like because you're moving, it's harder to land hits than it is. Uh... Mm-hmm normally because like normally you can do like the back and forth stationary thing um that doesn't necessarily work in this one because like you are getting attacked from a lot of different sides and uh yeah it's uh god and we're still not done with it we're there's there's still at least one more time we gotta do this there is still more and the targets that you're shooting at in this one at least in the other missions you know (laughs) it's mostly just armatures or some of the larger geth like the rocket troopers and the the juggernauts and stuff but in this one it's when they introduce the rocket drones and you have to shoot those with your mako cannon while moving Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. let me tell you toggling shift and (laughs) trying to drive is terrible so since i I don't play pc so i'm like gonna ask this this might be stupid can you not use a controller for this game I could, if I wanted to, uh, I could plug a, an Xbox or PS4 controller, maybe PS4 controller in, and use it, but I really wanted to experience PC the way that PC players would have experienced it. Um, I'm currently playing another game, if if you are a follower of my Twitter, at Um I'm currently playing one of David Cage's earliest works called Fahrenheit Indigo Prophecy, and I've been tweeting about it, and that is one where uh, I read uh, before I started playing because I was like, "Oh, should I play this on you know keyboard and mouse or should I play on controller?" And it was like, "Play it on controller because it was a hundred percent meant to be played on mm-hmm. controller, and if you don't, it will control terribly, and it will just be a nightmare, and you don't want to do that." Right. Um, okay. But this game, for the most part, is fine on control or on the keyboard and mouse. Yeah, it's it's just the Mako where they decided to make it so that your your zoom was a toggle that right. that is really really annoying. Mm, okay. um, yeah. Also, the save system. Gotta love that save what, system. Man. I've gotten I've gotten to the habit. Like I I say before and after each fight. What ha, have you not learned your lesson yet? Did you just uh, apparently not? Apparently, I needed to be reminded. Apparently, the Geth Colossus just really needed to remind me that. This this game has no autosave. Well, it does have autosave, but at very strange points. Mm, right. <laughs> um, so you get through the Mako Hell, and you get to the beachhead that the Solarian agents have established, where they are investigating whatever hijinks 
Saren has been up to. And you meet Captain Kirihi, who, despite being an overall minor character in Mass Effect, I feel like most people remember him the most out of any character that that kind of comes up in Mass Effect 1, like any of the side characters. Right. So much so that he plays a part, like a major role in 3 later on. And yeah, it's cool seeing this guy again because I love this guy. I, I, gotta, <laughs> I love Captain Gary. I mean, this, this might be skipping ahead a little bit, but this is going to be the first time in my entire ever played a Mass Effect that he survived. Really? Yeah, like I didn't... I guess I didn't pay that much attention to the things that you can do to help out their squad, like, in my <laughs> past things. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be the first time that Kirihi ever survived for me. So. Well, well, we'll talk about that stuff in a moment, but uh, first we, we have a little bit of an issue to deal with. Um, see, it turns out that the thing that Saren was working on uh, is a cure for the genophage. Uh, you know, that, that thing. That sterility <laughs> plague for the Krogan. Um, Which uh, creates a problem for Rex, who feels that he should maybe be helping Saren, and he might be on the wrong side of things now. And we got to talk to to Rex. So, have you ever had the conversation with Rex go wrong? Uh, the very very first time I played Mass Effect, I did because I there was a part of me like at at that point I didn't really grasp the difference between like what a charm and intimidate option was versus just like a standard renegade thing. So I didn't mm. use intimidate think because like i thought that was gonna be like the thing where i shot him and uh so and because i didn't uh i wasn't able to talk him down actually shot him and so you know fuck me right ashley's really uh hot on the trigger there she, she is <laughs> she was kind of eager you know because mm. i played that part and i was like cool i'm gonna go talk to rex and gaden's like yeah you know you should go speak with him, you know, work things out, and Ashley's like, I'll shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. Ashley, Ashley, it's cool. Hey, look, I'm just saying, I'll be over here, I'll have a gun, it'll be pointed at him, you know, if, if things go awry, or, you know, if a slight wind blows or something like that, you know, I'll just, <laughs> I, I got you, Commander, don't worry, I know. Ashley, don't do it. No, I got you. A wink, wink. Wink's as good as a nudge, huh? <laughs> good, Lord. <laughs> yeah, um... um Rex is the whole Rex thing is is bizarre because I had done the the side quest before you get to this, and if you do the side quest, you don't have to do any of the charm or intimidate options. You just have to kind of you know make your case to him, and he'll be like, "Oh, okay, you know, I trust you. You've been you've been good to me," uh, and that makes that kind of a wet fart because yeah. It's um, it just kind of ends. It's just kind of there, and you're like, oh, that wasn't as much of a that was, big deal as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, not quite as dramatic. <laughs> um, and also, like, I'll I'll send you a video of this later of how weird it can get. Like, if you like do some weird out of order shit, and you come to Vermeer early, and you don't have Liara yet, you can Rex will like just give up. Like, he won't even like make a fuss about it. He'll just be like, yep, it's your mission. Do whatever. Um, the thing that was weird to me, the what? Thing, yeah, like I'll. I'll I'll, I'll send you the video. It's it's fucking but, weird. But you do it. I guess if I guess you can go to Vermeer before you have Liara. Yeah, and then is, and you also have bizarre. to not recruit Garrus. Wow. Yeah, it's it's like they do it so you. How did you'll... someone find that? I <laughs> who I plays just, this game like that? I, I have no idea. It, it's 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 also like a scenario that like one percent of anyone that plays this game will ever see. So it's like. 
I don't know. It's it's a thing. But uh, the thing that sticks out to me is why was there no option to kind of be like on Rex's side that maybe hey like there's a fucking cure for this thing that has plagued these this people for centuries I think at this point. Um, why is there no option to kind of be like hey there's got to be some way that we can uh, salvage this that we can like get it away from Theron and use it for good. But like there's yeah, it's it's, um, it's kind of curious. Yeah, it's, and like immediately there's like. Everyone is like, nope, this has got to go. There's no option whatsoever to help him. And I went and started talking to, like, some of the squad mates around, and it's weird, like... I get that this is Mass Effect 1. Like, ties are not as strong as, say, Mass Effect 3 after something like Citadel. Um, like, it's weird how quickly everyone, except for, like, maybe Caden, like, turns against Rex and is, like, very wary of him. Uh, Tally and Liara even go as far as, like, they just call him the Krogan. The Krogan seems upset. The, the Krogan. Krogan. The, that guy. That guy who has been through all of this with us. Yeah, like, Rex has, has done stuff for the squad, man. That dude has, uh, he has waded through terrible shit in my playthrough. He, mm. <laughs> he was literally uh, knee-deep in dead Rachni corpses, like, five minutes before this mission started. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's that's so strange and they also kind of just immediately assume that the uh the genophage thing makes you like a mindless drone for Saren and stuff like that whereas right. you haven't really seen that yet you haven't gotten to that part of the mission yet so yeah it's all just really bizarre even so like just from like a from a role-playing standpoint the conversation with mm-hmm. rex and this sort of like discussion that you have about the genophage it was sort of the point for it's one of the turning points for me like sort of shifting more towards paragon and being more mindful of how i guess like my decisions impact more than just the mission and how they can help or hurt people on a larger mm-hmm. scale and mm-hmm. like and i like I, I i kind of view rex as like one of my shepherds like best friends and so like it's again it was very weird to not like be able to advocate for helping him out it's all weird. And then Kirihi, after you've convinced Rex or shot him in the face, or Ashley shot him in the face, I don't know, but <laughs> uh, Kirihi gives his speech, and this is maybe also one of the most, like, the, the biggest parts that people remember from, mm-hmm. from Mass Effect 1 is this hold the line speech. Um, this is some Sorkin shit, <laughs> man. This is, somebody watched The West Wing and was like, I'm going to write just this monologue now, and it's going to be the most grandiose, over-the-top thing, but they also, like, totally stick the landing. I still love it. It's right. still great. It's it's also cool because I feel like up to this point, we hadn't really seen Solarians that were warriors. Right. You know, they're, and, and really for most of the series, Solarians are not depicted as fighters. You don't see them in combat very often. They're mostly just scientists, merchants, traders, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, and even but, like the one Solarian squadmate you get it, it he even still seems weird as a squadmate, but that's like that's a conversation for another day. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and like and even so even when they are like depicted that way, it's more of like they're espionage. They're not like they're spies. They're not necessarily like the front line. So it kinda yeah. makes sense that you're not necessarily seeing them in that context so yeah and that that really just sets it up that like these guys are going in and and they're they're just probably all gonna die but it it sets up this really cool moment that that really sticks with me still um and then we start getting the death flags because it's Mm. time to decide who's gonna assist the solarians with the main assault while you sneak into the labs 
and boy do the death flags start popping here i was i was talking with ash and caden and for me um it was flagging ashley a lot you know she was saying stuff like it's been an honor to to serve with you commander i just want to i just want to let you know this is the most important thing i've ever done so i was curious whether it was flagging her for you or flagging caden for you uh i sent i sent ash with the salarians and that's because like caden is in my actual squad so like i was not gonna send him away when i would normally be taking him alongside me um and yeah it was very similar to that she just is she it comes off like she knows that she doesn't have a really great chance of getting out of here well i guess we'll get into more specifics about how that particular decision about who you send where plays out but i've actually never seen what it it, i've never seen that side of it because i've never gone to save the person uh, who went with the gunnery squad right I actually had not either, and I made a specific choice to try and do that this time, so mm. we will get there. Uh, but first, we're going to take a break. You're going to hear from our friends. We'll be right back. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. Imagine this, if you will. You've just sat down with a large cup of gamer fuel, ready to drown out the terrible dialogue in the latest AAA shooter by listening to your favorite podcast instead. But... Everything has changed. The hosts aren't funny, they have terrible chemistry, and worst of all, they won't take every last opportunity to ridicule the terribly untalented media personalities that dominate the industry. Everything you thought you loved has turned into a constant source of disappointment and dismay. Well, pal, that's not seasonal depression calling, that's just bad taste. For a fresh, fierce podcast experience, experts recommend Game Query. Farm-raised and delivered fresh directly to your ear holes once every few weeks when we actually decide to record. Listeners in Normandy FM are privileged to a special discount code at checkout. Use the code NEVERSTOPSNIPING outside your neighbor's house until they file a restraining order against you, and the official Game Query Twitter account will retweet your court subpoena. Game Query, the official podcast of not being a punk. Download wherever podcasts can be found and give us your money at Patreon slash GameQuery. And follow us on Twitter or some shit, but I don't remember our handle, so you're just going to have to fucking figure that out yourself. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. And we are back. Welcome back to the one and only retrospective that matters on Mass Effect. Normandy (laughs) FM, we're the only ones, only care about us. Please remember that if you would like to support us, if you would like to contribute and help us keep the lights on around here, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash normdfm. Every contribution helps, and if we get it up to some high enough goals, then I will have to play games that I don't want to play, so... Very good games. Sure. Some would say. <laughs> hey, I put, I put like 200-something hours in that game. I know. I know. Hey, I played Dota 2, so let me tell you that our count invested does not mean that a game is good. <laughs> uh, that is... That, that sounds like a personal problem. Speaking of personal problems, we've got one with Saren, and we're going to have to go take him down. <laughs> solid, solid. I, hey, look, you've heard so many segues from me. That's uh, fair. That, that was one of my better ones. Uh, we got to go take down Saren. So while the main assault squad hits the front of the gates, uh, our shadow team slides in the back. And you mentioned that during this segment uh, earlier, the first time you played this game, you did not realize that these side missions were things that you could do. No, I did not. Uh, this is one of the cooler things. I think that Mass Effect does, and where they finally start to nail down 
quest design and optional quest design mm-hmm. in a way that I even think modern games don't do very well, which is they just kind of tell you, hey, if you can do things that will help, please do them. And then it, it, it doesn't direct you to that. It doesn't give you an objective marker. It doesn't pop up on a checklist. It just notes that like, hey, on the map, there is a comms relay and over the uh, over the air you know the the gunnery squad whoever you send well i guess we both sent ashley so um ashley and kirahi are talking about oh you know they're communicating they've they've got comms relay up we can't like you know coordinate against them and so it nudges you in very smart ways that i actually really appreciated coming off of you know pharaohs where it's just like hey go touch the water valves a couple times and come back so i really enjoy this segment i was surprised that this is maybe the most cohesive segment that we've right. played so far in terms of yeah, combat and progression. It's got, a, it's got a lot of, like, forward momentum, which where, like, a lot of Noveria and Pharaoh says a lot of, like, meandering just around, like, mm-hmm. these, not, they're not necessarily overworlds, but just, like, these larger areas where Vermeer is, like, it's a very, like, we have a very direct mission, we have a very direct objective. Um, and I appreciate that, and it is more it is more in line with, like, the Mass Effect 2, 3, Andromeda sort of mission structure that is... More streamlined and but also I think tells better stories that way as well. Yeah. And then once we get to the lab, so here's a fun fact, Ken, uh, which I mentioned before the podcast started. Did you know that there are two ways to get into the labs? No, I did not. Uh it always bothered me, uh, every time I play this mission, that once I'm in the labs and I'm exploring, that there is a locked door that I can't seem to get through no matter what I do. Uh, on the very on the farthest end of the compound, past the elevator that you're supposed to take to progress the mission, um, it turns out that if you are when you are outside the compound, there is an area that you can go to that has like a sewer grate that you can get in through mm, okay. that leads up through there and puts you on the opposite end. That's actually I think quicker because it's closer to the elevator, but you miss all the indoctrinated stuff. So right. okay. that's a bummer because we're here to talk about everyone's favorite fan theory indoctrination. Wow. That is a, you're, you're skipping ahead to a few things, aren't you there? Mm. Well, I mean, there will probably be a point in time when we start to actually talk about that as it pertains to the theory that people had for this entire series. Uh, but here we're finally, you know, we, we got a mention of it on Novaria mm-hmm. with, uh, with Benezia where she, she starts to explain that Sovereign can exert influence and, uh, corrupts people's minds. But here we get actual tangible evidence of they were taking people and studying them and trying to figure out what was going on. Also, yeah. a nice little hint of Saren kind of starting to realize that he's in over his head um some nice little character development there that he established this whole lab because he's worried that he can't fight sovereign anymore right that was a something that i've always kind of wondered about because this saren is more or less sort of like acting against sovereign in a way and is capable of doing that like that's that's just what what's kind of strange to me it's like does sovereign not know the purpose of this like this lab of what they're doing I would imagine, given the character development we're about to stumble upon, uh, that Sovereign knows and doesn't care because he knows that Th- nothing can fair. stop it. <laughs> um, did you let the, those uh, Solarians out? 
Oh, I totally let him out. You always let him out. Come on. You, you give him I, a shot. There was one that I let out. The uh, the one that seems kind of more um like he's, I think he he said that he hadn't got they hadn't gotten to him yet. Right. Um, the other guy that is kind of already like more erratic. I was like, yeah, um I don't trust you and then he like has like a panic attack and then like runs smack into the window of his cell. Oh, if you if you open it, he pulls a gun on you and you have to okay. kill him. So. All right. Um All right. Yeah. It's everyone who I get that option with, I always give them the, okay, you gotta outrun a nuke, though, so you better start running. <laughs> yeah. That's, if you do that with the um, the secretary, I believe, uh, who lets you into Saren's uh, secret laboratory and all that, Yeah. <laughs> it's, I just got the biggest image of, like, Saren in Dexter's laboratory. <laughs> Shepard, oh. get out of my laboratory! <laughs> that was literally what I was about to say. <laughs> oh yeah if you if you tell her start running and she just like takes off rex turns to you he's like i like the way you think shepherd yeah um so we stumble into uh saren's laboratory and boy this is the part that i love of mass effect one this is this is my actual favorite part over everything else in this game the intro to Sovereign is so good. And I know that you have different thoughts about it because you wrote dot, 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 interesting, which is the same thing that I've heard from many girls over text message, which means that you have complicated feelings of disinterest. <laughs> so I'll let, you, I'll let you gush first before I get into my sort of uh, re- reservations here. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's high school all over again. Um, so... The thing that I love about this, maybe I should set it up a little bit. Uh, Ken, have you heard of I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream? Yes. Uh, the intro to that novel is incredibly um, infamous, which is hyperbolic of me to say, but <laughs> um, the the whole start of it where he's, the the machine is describing hate and how hate is this human construct and humans cannot begin to fathom the amount of hate that he generates and uh it's it's this incredible bit where you're it's it's making you realize that you don't have a sense of scale for what this thing is you 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 think you can wrap your mind around Mm. the finite like the finiteness of it like is that the word i'm thinking of the 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 tangible corporeal end start and end to something there you go it's it's the same thing as like the fear of the size of the universe it's the same thing that is often used in cthulhu mythos to make you realize that the elder gods will literally drive people mad with how massive and powerful they are uh that is what i get from this sovereign uh discussion is there is a an incredibly frustrating lack of exposition for when you finally meet him because he just kind of tells you nothing he's just saying the reapers are coming we cannot be stopped we are massive we will blot out the suns of every solar system with our numbers and you can do absolutely nothing to stop us and you're you get to ask him all these questions and he gives you basically no answers but it 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 all hits with this line you exist because we allow it you will die because we demand it Right. It's this total, like, we're toying with you. This is all just 
antics to us. This is drama. This is theater. Mm. We know what's going to happen. We've done this so many times. We're very good at it now. And there is absolutely nothing you can do. The The thing that I took away from this conversation is that uh, even in this particular instance, and the first time I played it, I was wondering, has there been somebody in a previous cycle who stood here and right. tried to do the same thing and failed just like I could? And that's... It's just the coolest moment for me because you finally start to realize that you think you have a grasp on what is coming and you really have no clue. It's so much bigger than you could begin to imagine. Right. So I, 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 you know, 11 years ago, that is exactly where I was sitting as well. Um, The thing that sticks out to me now, all this time later after the trilogy has been done, uh, so we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how, like, Bioware has done a fairly good job of sort of establishing character arcs, uh, like with Tally and Karis and Rex, and sort of like, by the end of Mass Effect 1, you can get the gist of where they were going to go. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like my takeaway with the conversation with Sovereign is that the Reapers are not given that same, or at least they don't act upon it in the same way that they did in Mass Effect 1, like, it's very clear to me, based on, like, the vagueness of the conversation with Sovereign, that they probably hadn't written the Reaper's origins, or, like, why they do what they do. Um, I don't know, like, I... And again, that is probably a conversation from Mass Effect 3. I just... Sort of, like, because I know what the Reapers come from, and, like, why they do what they do they don't seem quite as intimidating to me because, I mean, and I can edit this particular line I'm about to say out if it's a spoiler, they are basically a math error, like, of this thing that is, like, not realizing that it is contributing to the same problem that it's, like, trying to stop. So, I don't know, like, yeah. the, it when when you know the actual reason behind something, it sort of loses, it's like seeing the man behind the curtain. Exactly. Like this, this thing that you're in awe of. Like, you're like, now I get why you are the way that you are. And it's not like, I don't think that the Reaper is like, I feel like maybe I'm skipping ahead far, too far, like too many games, but I think the Reapers are still a very interesting concept and I don't, I'm not like a person that hates the origin story that they eventually get, but uh, it's like, they feel a lot smaller to me when I know that they are part of like a grander scheme like they are a very small part of a grander scheme than they pretend that they are i am somebody who we have talked many times on this podcast that i have forgotten large parts of the series and one of the things i have definitely forgotten is why the reapers exist (laughs) like i forgot what their origin is to be honest with you i completely (laughs) do not remember so in this case i think that really does color our perceptions of this conversation because for me who does not remember i'm like oh man this is so awesome it's so great but you like you said you've seen behind the curtain you saw the monster take his mask off you know it's um you you have a little bit more context here and so in that case yeah i can definitely see that you you do hit on one of the things that um for for those who have been listening all the time, I did watch um, Alex Navarro of Giant Bomb play all the way through uh, Mass Effect 1 on their website recently, and he also touches on this, so it was very front of my mind uh, throughout 
playing this game uh that they don't tell you why they do the harvest why they do the cycle uh every you know certain set of years they don't tell you like what the end goal is they just tell you oh everybody's going to die or be enslaved and then it'll all start over again but they don't tell you what the actual purpose is you know uh you know what do they get out of it you know what what sort of benefit or resource or necessary thing for survival do the reapers receive and that again (laughs) plays into this unknowable thing of yeah it's frustrating to not know but also it's fascinating because i'm assuming that the reapers are operating out of a hierarchy of needs that we can understand and again they are a purely as far as we know robotic synthetic race that could have ascended beyond that and what if this is just sport for them what if this is just Mm -hmm. what they do like there's there's so many questions and at this point because i know that answers are coming later on both later in this game and later in other games i'm kind of cool with it but i can also see how it would be frustrating for someone especially in retrospect playing this going like man you learned nothing from this conversation Right. Uh, it's it's a very solid like starting point, I think. Mm-hmm. Which it, like, sets, I mean, it sets tone more than anything else. It, it sure. sets the oh, tone yeah. of the reapers uh, and the tone of the villain. Uh, <laughs> but we've got other problems, like this big ass bomb on the Normandy that we got to plant and set off. But once we get it set, we hear that our good old gunnery squad sergeant person, <laughs> gunnery <laughs> chief Ashley Williams, is pinned down. Uh, and we gotta make a choice, and this is the the big. This is the one that resonates throughout all of Mass Effect more than any other choice in the game. It's amazing how much this one choice stands out. Whether you save Ashley and leave Caden to die, or vice versa. So I will tell you before Ken goes off on me <laughs> that I picked Ashley <laughs> um, for half for podcast reasons. Uh, and half because I'd sent her with the gunnery team to uh, to to take care of that stuff, and I'd never seen the AA tower fight, so I kind of I kind of wanted to see that. Right. Um, I think if I had to actually choose, I might have gone Caden this time. But again, that would be out of me having never chosen Caden before. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't know. Every other time I'd done it, I had just chosen Ashley because that was the character I'd spoken the most with. I never spent much time with Caden prior. I'd never done any of his dialogues, and his dialogues with Male Shep were always very stilted in a way that we've talked about already. So I never really cared much about him. Whereas Ashley, I was like, hey, you know, she's spacist, xenophobic asshole, but she's got a personality, so I'll keep her around. Um, uh. Go off. Go off, Ken. <laughs> so, alright. I have compiled a list of reasons as to why I picked Caden. Alright, one. Caden <laughs> Linko has a nice butt. Two. Mechanically, he has a more useful ability set. He's a sentinel versus a, a soldier who is, like, fine to play as. It is not that great to have as, like, a squad mate. Strategically, I had left Caden to handle the bomb. Um, that is, like... The, to me, that is the more pertinent thing that I need to worry about, like making sure that a bomb goes off. And this, since we're since Definitely. we're destroying since we're destroying yeah. the cure, that's a thing. All right, fine, I will do that. Um, thematically, actually, 
redeems her family this way, in my opinion. If like she di- if she dies to make sure that Saren does not have like a weaponized Krogan army, like she talks about how like her family is like a disgrace, sort of like because uh, they ran away. Yeah, right. her I believe it's her grandfather was the only human general to ever surrender a human colony, something yeah. like that. And so, like, and that she talks about how, like, that has basically followed her her entire military career, and it followed her family as well. And it's, like, she talks about, like, doors slammed in her face the second they found out that she was part of the Williams family. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, to me, it's, like, that gives her, like, this... It, it basically, like, wipes the slate clean for her family. Um, but ultimately, the actual reason that I pick Caden is because even if the game is not letting me act on it, Caden is my shepherd's love interest right now. Um, he is this character that, like, is central to, like the way that I perceive the character of Shepard at all, like, this, like, this sort of, um, duality between them, like, he is, Caden, if in the event that he was ever measured that way, would be, like, this very Paragon person, where Shepard is this hard-ass, but, like, Caden is sort of starting to soften him up, is the way that I've always thought of it, mm-hmm. and for me, Vermeer is this turning point for my Shepard, not only just because of Rex, but because it is the part where he's starting to realize that his emotions are starting to play into the way that he acts as a commander and the decisions that he makes. And it's starting to, like, make him see beyond the mission. And it's, like, it's like this person's life has become a priority for him beyond just getting the job done. And that is why Vermeer is this defining moment for my shepherd, because both his best friend and his lover, like, is... There are these things happening in Vermeer that sort of change the way that I played this character, like, from two and three onward, uh... So yeah, that's why I picked Caden, and I'm also free of Ashley and her her ways. <laughs> her her uh, her sister's trying to get you you two together and all that. Mm. Yeah, it's I really playing it, you know, knowing that I, I tried to go in before. I kind of always went in and was like, I'm just going to get rid of Caden. That's what I've always done. I don't really care. Well, off Caden, that's how I play this game. Uh, going in without that mindset really feels like you mentioned that they set it up for Ashley to be the one who goes because they're like, oh, Caden should go with the bomb because he's better with those. And, and Ashley right. is cool. And then they set up the whole redeeming arc uh, for Ashley that she can, you know, s- redeem her family. If you save her, you do have a conversation dialogue with her later where she says, um, you know, I feel like I've made the same mistake that my family did, and you can kind of be like, you did, or, <laughs> you know, just brutally own her. Or you can be like, you know, don't don't think of it that way. Think of it as you're surviving for for all of our sakes, and I, I was the one right. who made the choice. You didn't make the choice. Um, so, yeah. But the way they do set it up, it is really strange that they give you the option of going to the AA Tower to try and save that person even though they they basically say like once the bomb is armed it's it's going off there's like nothing you can do to stop it uh but this is the big choice that i mean this literally change it, it affects who is in your squad in a later game in, mm. in a much later game uh and it's it's kind of the start of this whole thing where they had to start um you know at, at the start of every game they have to say like oh who did you kill on Vermeer? like that's one of we'll get into that when we start our next season but that's one of my favorite parts of Mass Effect 2 is where they're just like, oh yeah, who'd you kill, by the way? Yeah, it's like a, it's a very specific deviating point that I think colors a lot of people's playthroughs. Um, 
like whether it's like not necessarily Mass Effect Two, but like Mass Effect Three, like you have like you. I mean, you have missed out on half. Of, it is one of the only points in the, the game where like you really miss out on half of like the content here because like you have mm-hmm. a character, you have one character or the other, or maybe you end up with neither, just depending on how things end up. But uh, yeah, like it can it lock is, you out of potential love interests and stuff like that, you right? Know. It's, and it's wild. Yeah, and like. I mean, maybe we should hold off on talking about, like, the ways that they deviate in later games, but, uh, I've, like, even beyond just, uh, Caden being my Shepard's love interest, I feel like Caden is a character that grows more and, like, has a better arc in the end, but, uh, maybe that's a Mass Effect 3 conversation, but. I mean, we'll even be into it on Mass Effect 2 as well, because said character does show up again in Mass Effect 2, uh, right. so. Or at least I know Ashley does. Again, always killed Caden, so I have no idea. <laughs> but, um, just one last note on this. Like, just to put it in context, this was pre um, The Walking Dead. This was pre just about every choice-based game you can think of. This was kind of a huge deal right. at the time. I remember a lot of people talking about it at the time that... Uh, Mass Effect was this game where you made choices and they really mattered and and you know that was I feel like this was the start of that trend where it was right. like oh you make big choices and they're going to affect you throughout all these games and it's just kind of cool to see those cogs turning again even though it's well maybe not given the gravitas that other choices are yeah. given it, it is strange because like I mean it's not a spoiler to say that people die in Mass Effect 3 but like when characters died in Mass Effect Three, they were like it. It shook the entire Normandy. Like people talked about, like we're, like you go around talking to people, and people were like swapping stories about like the time they spent with that person when they were in life. Where here, Ashley and Caden's death seems to affect strictly the other person. Like the only yeah. person that I could talk to about Ash was Caden. It was really strange. Yeah, you'd figure that they would have had even just casual throwaway dialogue for some of your other squad mates like Garrus and Tali and, and Rex that would just be like, oh, you know, he was a a good soldier, you know, he always helped out, he was, or, you know, I really like yeah. that guy, it's a shame what happened and stuff. But instead it's just not there. This kind of ties back into what I was saying last episode, which is I feel like with some of the characters you we have hit the... Uh, the theoretical end of their dialogue tree right. you know mm-hmm. we've finished their plot line which is a thing that i that i think bioware remedies in later games but uh yeah you can just kind of hit the end of the tree and there's nothing new to talk about with tally or garris or rex mm-hmm. because you've kind of exhausted all options at this point there's the the only person you're really getting more dialogue options with at this point in the game is your love interest right. and well, that's still going terribly for me. <laughs> um, I actually, I always get worried with the Liara love interest because at this point in the game, her whole thing is that she's, um, you know, she's into you, but she's not really like, she's not sure if she's ready for that sort of thing. There's other pressing matters, but it always weirds me out because I always think that I've missed some sort of flag or right. trigger. And uh, yeah, so I'm at that point with this game where I'm like, did I mess up the romance somehow? Did I forget <laughs> that there was something I was supposed to do at this point? Which is effective, I guess. Um, yeah, the Vermeer death. The big choice. We got here, Ken. How do you feel? 
having finally finally made this choice free free <laughs> freedom it's uh, it's it's, it's a, it, like, despite all the shit that I gave Ashley over the course of all of this, I do feel, like, I did very, I do enjoy Ashley as a character, just even despite the weird way that Byer is forcing her on me. I think that she is a very, like, it's interesting that she sort of exists to kind of prove that humanity's culture as we know it still exists in some form. In this mm-hmm. in this future, because like she is very, like, I was about to say family values, but that comes with a certain connotation. But, like, Ashley she... would contribute to a GoFundMe to build the space wall. Oh, do that. <laughs> oh man, she is interesting. Even if I didn't agree with her, and I wanted her to get off of me, but she, she um, I will say again, Ken, you're not totally free of her because I'll be keeping her around to make sure we have a you know little check in. So. In the future, don't worry, Fair there enough. will be the, the Ashley check-in. But <laughs> I feel like her character does change over time, which makes her a little more interesting. But again, in the first game, you know, she just kind of serves as this focal point for all the, the worst tendencies that humanity has. Whereas Caden, at least, his story is a little bit more personal. It's about, um, you know what maybe about the ambitions of humanity and the, and the price of that uh, right. is, is what I would define him as, which is something other characters dip into as well as we get into Mass Effect 2. But uh, yeah, both very interesting characters, but only one's making it off for my lives. So we've made our choices. Uh, last few notes here we have for this episode. Uh, I finished the Cerberus mission line, mm. the, the Kohaku stuff. And this is probably the R-I-P. best that that this this mission line gets i i actually like appreciate these missions and they have an interesting resolution with you deciding whether you're going to share the information about cerberus with the shadow broker or not and you kind of get this insight like oh they were studying rachni and stuff like that so cerberus really does have all these little feelers everywhere but yeah man side quests in this game really suck (laughs) well they're basically over now so Yep, they're done. We don't got to worry about them anymore, and the next games that we'll be playing uh, have much better side missions, so look forward to those. And if you want to see us play bigger side missions called DLC, you should head on over to patreon.com slash normdfmshow, contribute where you can get us on the path to playing those DLCs, those Layers of the Shadow Broker, those Citadels, those Omegas and Arrivals, uh... And it helps us keep the lights on. It helps us pay for hosting costs and also because we had to buy these these DLCs and stuff because apparently in the year 2018, it's difficult to find a good copy of Mass Effect. So that is a thing. But that'll do it for this week of Norm DFM. Next week, we'll be heading over to Ilos. We got we to gotta wrap this thing up. You know, we're getting pretty close to the end here, Ken. Are Thank you excited? God. I, part of me is kind of sad to realize that we're almost done with Mass Effect 1 because it feels like it went by pretty quick. It did. At the same time, I've spent half of this, you know, recording and producing and playing Mass Effect for this podcast getting really excited to play Mass Effect 2 again. (laughs) So 
We're really and, looking forward to that. And we've already been making the schedule out, and it's going to take a lot longer than Mass Effect 1 did. Good lord. Yeah, we are already planning and looking at the schedule. We are having to work on stuff months in advance, but that's because we're we're going to be leveling up a little bit. We're going to be doing things a little bit bigger. We're going to be hopefully having some guests on, some, some extra talkers on here, so it's not just myself and Kenneth Shepard yelling at you all the time about how... Uh, yeah, Ashley just won't stay away from Ken. It's, it's just can't, can't stay away. Uh, but that'll do it here for us. Look forward to some of those plans in the future. We'll be publicizing them as soon as they're a little bit more concrete. But in the meantime, I'm Eric. That was Ken. And thank you for tuning in. See you next week on Norm DFM. Norm DFM.